Well, great uh, singing this morning. So thankful for uh, your raised voices this morning. Uh, Unlike your worship folder tells you, we are not going to be talking about baptism this morning. Uh, That is what the plan was uh, earlier this week, and then um, I just became burdened, and uh, very burdened about the idea of unity in the church. I'm concerned about unity of the church. I'm concerned about the state we might find ourselves in in a short time if I don't address this issue from the Scripture. My heart is heavy And I felt burdened in the last couple of days to address this issue, and I couldn't shake it. You may be wondering if this is because of something that happened in particular. It's really a culmination of things that have been happening. The things we've faced this last year, the things we are facing now. But I'm not addressing them as things we've faced as Americans or as the world, or as a particular political people. I'm wanting to address these things from the Bible for our local assembly. So I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verses 1 through 6 together. And I want us to study it together this morning and comfort and challenge us from the Scriptures on the issue of unity I am going to have a stand this morning in that sense of unity as we read the Word of God, as I read it aloud and as you follow along. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. That is the Word of God in the New Testament reading. May He bless it as you've heard it read aloud. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, as I often pray by Your Holy Spirit, who inspired these words in the original autographs, I now pray that You would, by Your Spirit, Lord, who indwells all of us who are in Christ and unites this local assembly. By Your Spirit, may You open our eyes and our hearts. Convict us, Lord. Comfort us. Humble us. Humble me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to see this morning what Paul says about unity in the church as he pleads with us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. These are not written for you. On the back of your bulletin, this was not sent out in an email. That is not Lori's fault. It's my fault. It's the burden of my heart this morning, dear ones. I want us to see this morning 
what Paul says about unity in the church as he pleads with us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. If you would like to take notes, I can give you these points and you can come and see me later if you miss something. But the first thing we see in the first two verses is the characteristic of the walk. The characteristic of this walk in unity in a manner worthy of our calling. The characteristic of the walk. Paul begins with, I therefore, which of course calls our attention back to what he has said previously. In other words, he might say, I appeal to you based on what you should understand from what I have written thus far. Paul often does this in his epistles. Uh, He goes from the theological foundation to the theological application. The practical outworking of the theology that he has grounded the church in as he has written to them. And I want us to be reminded this morning that though we talk about things in a universal sense, and Paul talks about them in a universal sense, he has written this to uh, at least one church, if not a group of churches, that will receive this letter. And the application of it goes to the church. I think we have uh, bought into, unfortunately, uh, so much of the rugged individualism of our culture that we forget that uh, this is written to the church as a community of believers. And that's how we need to read and study and understand this. Of course, there is individual responsibility that we must take. But church, Fellowship Bible Church, he has written this under God's inspiration, knowing that we as a local assembly would exist. Have you ever thought about that? And therefore, we must pay close attention to these matters. So here, Paul is looking back upon what he has stated, concurring all that God has done in saving them from chapter 1, beginning of uh, the beginning of that. Then in 2, he talks how he has made the Jews and Gentiles into one new man. So he talks about the, the grace of salvation in chapter 1, and he talks about the unification of Gentiles, who is everyone else besides the Jews who God revealed himself to in the first place, if you will, through the law, that unification now in the new covenant people, in one new man. And in chapter 3, concerning his own stewardship, which God had given him, his ministry specifically to the Gentiles, in which he gives thanks for them and desires for them to grasp the fullness of the body of Christ's Christ and and Christ's love for that body. This is what he is reflecting upon in this therefore statement. It it is grounded in the gospel. And, And now he begins to talk about walking in a manner worthy of that gospel message. The gospel of our salvation that is founded in Christ Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection and his ascension. That unifies people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That uh, is specifically in the ministry of Paul to the Gentiles. And, And now he is saying, this is how you live this out. 
And he reminds them again of his own condition, even as he writes these things. He says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. He is in prison, but he does not consider himself a prisoner of man, but recognizes the Lord's sovereignty in this matter. Even as I find myself in prison for preaching the gospel upon which I am telling you to stand and to do these things, I am not a prisoner of man. This is the Lord's plan. He is indeed a prisoner of men, but his greater calling is to proclaim proclaim the gospel no matter his condition. And even in his imprisonment, he is encouraging them in their walk. And in light of all this, it says that he urges them. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Urge here means to come alongside, to encourage. It's the same word used as one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. What is the implication of Paul encouraging them and yet coming alongside them to walk in this manner worthy? It is that he is walking with them, though he himself is imprisoned. He knows the importance of walking faithfully with Christ in spite of his circumstances. Therefore, he urges them, he comes alongside of them to remind them that they must walk in a manner worthy of their calling. What does this word worthy mean? It means that which is appropriate. And it would be in reflection of what has been done. The original carries the idea of scales used to balance and weigh. In other words, as We're thinking about what God has done through Christ Jesus, through the gospel, through Christ's perfect life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and his soon coming, through this gospel message, how do we weigh in the balance how we are supposed to live? Uh, you, you are to walk in a manner that is worthy of that, 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 that balances those scales out. And, and what does that mean? First of all, you cannot do that in your own strength, dear ones. Walking in a manner worthy requires the grace of God just as much as being saved requires the grace of God. And it is through God's grace in salvation, in justification, that becomes the foundation for our walking in holiness, walking in a manner worthy. It is empowered by the holiness and the righteousness of Christ in the gospel, and we live that out accordingly. What is the appropriate response to what God has done? This is the question that ought to be on the forefront of our minds. It, 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 it takes my mind to Romans chapter 12. It, uh, to make a left-hand turn in your Bibles. Keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 4 and make a left-hand turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Very many of us are familiar with this. Perhaps even have Romans 12, 1 and 2 memorized. We see another appeal, another urging here from Paul in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Uh, Some versions say, in view of God's mercy. Through the lens of understanding, here's another turning point in Paul's, one of Paul's letters where he has given this grounding of theology, and he's saying, here's how you respond. In view of God's mercy... Through the lens of God's mercy, here's how you ought to live. To present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the mold of this world. But rather, be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here is what Paul is saying in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that is so applicable to uh, this idea of walking in a manner worthy as we view things through the lens of God's mercy, as we weigh the scales of what it means to walk in a manner worthy, we recognize this. We are not to be conformed, we're not to be pressed into the mold of the world, but rather by testing. By testing. By measuring everything against the truth of God's word. We are to discern what is God's will. Back over to Ephesians 4. So what does walking in a manner worthy look like? These are descriptive words of the way in which he wants us to walk in this manner worthy. Look at what he says in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love. Humility, he says. Walk in humility. Humility here is defined as a quality of voluntary submission. Humility. Humility in the sense of what we talked about just a little bit ago in the, uh, at Advent. That Christ humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation taking on the form of humanity, humble to the point of even dying a humiliating kind of death on a cross. Gentleness. Gentleness, meekness, and and friendliness. And you've maybe heard this expression, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the idea of, well, gentleness, right? It's the idea of not soft in the sense of Not being bold or courageous, but being gentle. Patience. Long-suffering. Forbearing. Just thinking about these first three, and we're going to get into bearing with one another in love here in a moment. Just thinking about these first three, can we not see the character of our God toward us in these truths? The humility of Jesus coming. The gentleness of God as a father. The patience of God as a father toward us. He is not quick to anger, the scripture says. He is patient with us. Bearing, it says, with one another in love. Someone defines this as exercising self-restraint and highly esteeming one another. While we're being humble about ourselves and being gentle and patient towards others, we're also thinking little of ourselves and esteeming our brothers and sisters highly, bearing with them in love. This is quite the descriptive list, and it's very helpful for us today. Fellowship Bible Church, I love you. And it is my desire that as we face uncertain days, when the world around us seems like it is crumbling because of COVID, because of riots, because of war, because of threats against the freedoms that we have enjoyed, whatever and wherever you find yourself concerned about these matters, whatever our opinions are about these matters, this is what it means to be the church to one another in spite of that. 
in spite of that. Not saying we can't have disagreements and we can't have discussions and debates around matters. But what we cannot do is take our preferences and personal convictions and make them on par with the doctrine of the church. We cannot make politics or our beliefs about COVID or schooling options or vaccines and make them on par with truth and thus divide the church. We cannot do that. We can challenge each other in many ways. And we should challenge each other about things that are scriptural and things that matter. But we must never draw a line in the sand that Scripture does not draw and say that if you cross this, then I cannot be in fellowship with you. That is sin. And God calls it that. And please, please, please do not hash these things out in public on social media. Here's your warning. If I see it, I'm going to call you out on it. But I will call you out on it in private. We must not let the church be divided over these matters, dear ones. Must not. And as far as it is within me, and I would say my brother elders would stand with me in this, we will not allow it. We can have disagreements. We can have preferences. Personal values that differ. And there are varying degrees of disagreement. We fellowship with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, though we disagree with them on the issue of baptism. Oh, I brought baptism up anyway, didn't I? Even though ultimately we are not Presbyterians. This is not a primary doctrine. It's an ecclesiological difference, and we ought to know the difference, dear ones. But when it comes to this church... To this local assembly, we need to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Bearing, tolerate. It's not always easy, but we do it in love. We choose to do it. We choose not to divide over issues that uh, don't matter because Christ has died for us and has unified us, dear ones. Do not forget what Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 21. You will be hated for my name's sake. What is the unifying reason that the world will hate us? It's not because of our views on various matters. It's because we are in Christ and we bear the same name as him. Though Jesus in the context of speaking to his disciples, the you there is just as well meant for us. And I mean us as a local assembly, this church, we will be hated for all by the sake, uh, for the sake of the name of Jesus. But we are not to hate one another. We are to be humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with each other in love. The thing that unites us is that we are in Christ. This then leads to an action that flows from this. Secondly, the action of the walk. The action of this walk in verse 3. Look at what it says. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul goes on to say, eager, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager means be quick 
and earnest to preserve the unity. Be quick. Be eager. This ought to be the the, the thing that that our toes are hanging over the edge to do. Our toes are are hanging over the edge of the next step and, and curled over the edge of it to spring to action to preserve the unity of the church. We might ask, well, do we create this unity? And the answer to that is no, we do not create this unity. God creates it in Christ through the Spirit. There's a lot of parallels between Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, uh, turn, turn over to Colossians, uh, which is a right-hand turn in your Bible. Whoever uh, put the New Testament together in this order didn't want us to see these parallels too well, so they threw a Philippians in between Ephesians and Colossians. But there's a lot of parallels there. Colossians chapter 3. at verses 12 through 15. Oh my, oh my, that this would be us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. It's like Paul is writing the same letter. And if one has a complaint against each other, against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. Do you see that, dear ones? If anyone has a complaint against each other, forgive each other. That means that the complaint has been brought forward and that reconciliation has occurred and forgiveness has occurred. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ, the bond of peace, as he says back in Ephesians 4, if you go back there, this is something that God does in Christ through His Spirit. The bond of peace speaks to that which is joined together in harmony without dissension. Paul, in his commentary on Ephesians, notes, it is ironic that Paul, who is bound as a prisoner in chains, should refer here to a bond or shackle of peace in an exhortation to the church. It is further ironic that bond should be associated with peace since chains were often used to restrain violence. But this is not just wordplay. Paul knows that peace in the Christian community is necessary for their Unity, whereas hostility, strife, jealousy, envy, harsh language, gossip, and other intemperative behavior, which he warns against elsewhere, lead quickly and exorbly to ecclesiastical division. Such actions arise out of hatred, not the love that binds all to one another in perfect harmony. Saints of Fellowship Bible Church, we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit, if you are here this morning and you are in Christ, you and I are indwelled by the same Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about that? There aren't a hundred Holy Spirits uniting us. There is one Holy Spirit indwelling you and indwelling me. 
And it is the Spirit who creates this unity. But we are to, what does it say in the text here? We are to maintain it. We are to maintain it. One commentator says, in light of this idea of maintaining it, to keep this unity must mean to maintain it visibly. If the unity of the Spirit is real, it must be transparently evident. And believers have a responsibility before God to make sure that it is so. To live in a manner which mars the unity of the Spirit is to, despite the gracious reconciling work of Christ. And this is the key, isn't it? Christ lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved, was raised on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father in order that we might be reconciled to him and that we might be reconciled to one another. Do not walk in unity, not walking in unity, forgive me, is to openly mock the cross and the empty tomb. To not walk in unity is to openly mock the cross and the empty tomb. So let us live in such a way of unity, dear ones. We can have differing views on issues that are of great importance to us personally. Have disagreements about those. Challenge one another and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. And treat each other with love and honor and be solidly on the same ground about the gospel truth. Think about Paul's words earlier in Ephesians 3.11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And as we look at that list, these distinctions are legitimate. You would not be able to look at a person who has dark skin and say, I do not see the color of your skin, I just see a person. No, God created a mosaic and we need to be joyful about that. But we must say that in Christ, those distinctions don't matter concerning our unity. And we must live and treat each other that way because the Spirit indwells believers who are Greek or Jewish, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, because Christ is all and in all believers, regardless of those things. We are unified in Him. And we, dear church, are to maintain that unity that is grounded in the gospel and through Christ and the Spirit. Don't let your differences or preferences about politics divide you. Don't let your ideal American existence keep you from unity in the church and doing what God has called you to do. Don't let the idolatry of comfort and safety keep you from obeying God and therefore being humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love and maintaining the unity of the Spirit. And by not allowing those things to divide us and by exercising humility, gentleness, patience, bearing in love, we will maintain the unity of the Spirit. We've seen the characteristic of the walk and the action of the walk. Lastly, we see the elements of unity. The elements of unity. Unity is created by the Spirit, but this is how we are unified. Look at what it says. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's baptism again. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and 
in all. The elements of unity in verses 4 through 6. There is one body. This idea of one body is variously described throughout the scriptures. Uh, One sense we understand this is the body of Christ universal. All believers who are in Christ around the world are a part of this. Living or dead, there's still those who are awaiting the resurrection, who have gone before us. But we understand it actively as the body of Christ universal around the world. But Paul is addressing this universal idea to a local assembly, to a local church. And, and he, is, he is showing them the, 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 the big picture to help them see how it is to be in their assembly. As we said, Paul's already spoken to this unity, especially concerning Jew and Gentile, especially more pointedly in the New Covenant people of God in Ephesians chapter 2. Those who were once afar off are now brought near. One body. One spirit. The spirit of God, as we said, is the unifying agent of this bond. Have you considered the same spirit of God that Paul speaks of in the beginning of this letter as the seal in Ephesians chapter 1? He says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment until Christ returns. The promise of our redemption, this same Spirit is indwelling all believers, and especially consider that in light of this local assembly. Your confidence as an individual believer that Christ is returning and that He will come and get you and bring you with Him, your confidence of that is that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And that is the same confidence that your brother and sister has as well. And how dare we, in questioning issues of personal preference or things that are non-doctrinal matters, drawing lines in the sand where God does not draw a line in the sand, how dare we question whether or not the Spirit indwells them based on that? That is not unity. That is destructive. It is divisiveness. It says we are called into one hope. The hope, that is the confident expectation of our salvation from sin and the wrath of God into a right relationship with God and the hope that extends to the fact that He is returning to, to, to bring us to Himself. That final step of salvation, that glorification aspect, that one hope that we all hope in, that our salvation will be complete. All believers are called into this hope. Therefore, our confident expectation is the same. Now, you may have a different eschatological view than I have, a different end times view than I have. But all of us, unless you're a full preterist, which we need to have a talk if that's the case. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. Don't worry about it. All of us, regardless of our end times perspective believe that Christ is coming to get us. And at that moment, we will be transformed into our glorified bodies. All believers are called to the same hope. Our confident expectation is the same. Therefore, we are united in that. One Lord. One Lord. We are under the same ownership, as it were. The Lord of the universe is also the Lord of the church. 
He is the head of the body and therefore our main unifier. Not just the main unifier in the sense of the church universal, I'm going to keep emphasizing this, but the main unifier in regard to this local assembly as well. We come here and we worship together and we are involved in each other's lives and we need to do more of that because Christ is our Lord. Also notice one spirit and one Lord uh, in in, in order here. Uh, who, Who else do you think that Paul is going to bring up in a bit? We'll see. One faith. Paul's not speaking about faith as the conduit in which we believe, but the body of belief. That which one must believe to be saved, and that which contains the doctrine or belief of the church. The, uh, what, what we see in Jude chapter 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We call this orthodoxy. The, the very basic ideas of the gospel and who God is that we must believe in order to be a Christian. You say, Jason, if somebody doesn't believe in the Trinity, they're not a Christian. That's right. Because that's what God's word says. Now, somebody may come to faith in Christ and not understand things about the Trinity, but as they learn those things, they will accept them because it's what God's word says. Not understanding and rejecting are two different things. If you reject the one faith, you are not a Christian. Though churches today might disagree on secondary and tertiary matters, we have what we call the Catholic doctrines. That's little c, universal church doctrine. But the body of doctrine we hold to at this local assembly, we say we believe together, even if there are secondary matters upon which we disagree. So we are united in one faith, one orthodox understanding of the gospel and who God is. One baptism. Spiritual baptism at conversion exemplified in water baptism. Now I understand that there are differing views concerning that, even among some of the people who are a part of our church, not necessarily members of our church, because you have to hold to believer's baptism to be a member of our church. But, but still, the, the, the thought is the same concerning spiritual baptism and water baptism. Water baptism symbolizes what happens in spirit baptism. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. We don't have time to go there this morning, but look it up and read it. You'll hear it in a few weeks anyway. So I told you we'd get to baptism. And then one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Here we see the completion of the Trinitarian formula. He mentions the Son. He mentions the Spirit. He mentions Lord as the Son, and he mentions God, the Father. One God is a monotheistic statement of which the Jews would have been familiar, but he has already mentioned the Lord, which is usually attached to Christ Jesus in the New Testament, and the Spirit of God. So while being monotheistic, he emphasizes the Father here. He is the Father of all in the sense of the Creator of all, and having made man in his image, And he is through all and in all concerning his eminence, as O'Brien rightly states. These are the elements of unity. Paul also assumes the church has a grasp on these. These are what unify the church and specifically what unifies us as a local assembly. Going back to what Paul stated at the beginning of chapter 4, we were reminded that we are to, as individuals, walk in a manner worthy of our calling, but as we have been called into a body and 
As such, we are to walk with each other unified in these truths. Listen, let me be clear this morning. My fear is not that Christ's church will not stand or thrive. He promises that the gates of hell will not stand against his church. But that does not mean that local assemblies will not go through struggles. And I am burdened by what we have been through this last year that, we may be, that, that may be dividing us and we are not even aware of it. Because we haven't talked about it with one another. I'm burdened by the way we may face uh, this in coming months and years. And I, and I want us to wake up to that reality. I'm burdened that we as a local assembly... Follow what Paul, therefore Jesus, says here. That we are together in unity on what matters. So if you have something against a brother or sister, if you disagree about something that goes, that God does not call primary, if you won't talk to that person anymore because they say that one thing on Facebook, if you disagree with someone's stance on masks or no masks, if you want to challenge someone on why they haven't been at church recently, go humbly, gently, patiently, bearing with them in love, eager to maintain the unity and the bond of peace, and work it out. This is what the cross has done. It has unified people from different perspectives and different walks of life. It unifies them in the gospel message and the outworking of the fruit of the gospel, even if that means, even if the means of that outworking look different from person to person. Listen, if your brother is not sinning and does something differently or adapts their way of life differently to a situation than you would, don't let that tear you from them. Fellowship Bible Church, I love you. I'm concerned about what might tear us apart. Concerned about things that may be dividing us that we're not even aware of. And certainly in some ways we're not even talking about with one another. It's one thing for me to get up here and talk about it on a Sunday morning. It's quite another thing for me as an elder and my brother elders to go and to talk with others which we have done and will continue to do. But it's even a better and more biblical and more Christ-like and more unifying thing for you to do that as well. Let's be unified. It's the Spirit who creates it. We must maintain it. We must be eager to maintain it. If you're one who sits here this morning and you have not turned from your sin and try uh, and and turn to Christ, my call to you today is to hear the core of this unity. It is the good news. None of us can be reconciled to God without Christ. We are his enemies. Yet while we were his enemies and sinning against him, Christ died for sinners who are those enemies. Trust him today. You can come and talk with me. I would invite you, if you are struggling even with what I said this morning, come and let me know. Let's talk it out. I love you. Let's pray. Lord, take anything away that would be distracting, that would be disunifying, that would be anything other than unifying us in the gospel. I want your name to be glorified, Lord. Forgive us 
when we fall short of maintaining unity. Forgive us when we talk out of turn rather than talking to the person. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another in love, and for us to be eager to maintain the unity that is ours. We already possess it in the Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that if there are those who do not know you, that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ. And for the rest of us, let us walk in unity together. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.